Welcome to episode seven of Auto Off Topic. I'm your host, Brad, joined as always by Andrew. Hello. Afternoon, Andrew. How are you today? I'm good. Excellent. It's, uh, it's Time to talk cold. about cars? Yeah. Excellent. It's getting cold out. It is very cold. It's supposed to be like stupid cold tomorrow and Friday. So. Yeah, it's supposed to be uh, coldest. I don't think coldest of the year because I think we experienced coldest of the year when we were at Winter Challenge Rally in February because that would be the same yeah. year. It's supposed to be a, a, some kind of a record for the time, though, I think. For, yeah, for the just, date tomorrow. Yeah, because I remember last year on Christmas Eve, I was out walking the dog in like a t-shirt. Right. It was like 70. Well, it's supposed to be like 55 on Monday, so yeah, it's so we'll weird. see what happens. I put my fence back up. Which will be a good day for doing projects, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, let's see. Project car updates. Uh, the garbage Montero got coated in oil. It did. Yep. And not how it usually gets coated in oil. No, it did not. <laughs> it did not leak oil everywhere this time. It was intentionally sprayed with oil. It was. And it, it's really covered, too. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. Yeah, so what you... Uh, hooked me up with the guy. What was what's the name of the shop? Uh, Auto Alliance. Auto Alliance. Yeah, in Merrimack, Mass. Merrimack, Mass. Oh, I thought it was in New Hampshire. Nope, Merrimack, Mass. Oh, cool, Merrimack, Mass. And it's um, but the coating is called New Hampshire Oil Undercoating. Yeah, there's a few places that spray it. But yeah, I recommend it, him because he does a really thorough job. Yeah, they have really a bunch of dealers around. I was, I was looking at the website, and you know, he was kind of reading the uh frequently asked questions on it and it's a lot like it's similar in idea most people probably heard of fluid film now yep it's a similar it's like, idea. i think it's a higher quality but than it, fluid film it does look like a lot higher quality yeah because our buddy jordan had it done to his truck and he had fluid film done the year before and it's it's quite thicker and it's a lot thicker yeah. almost, if, you, if you get the non-tinted clear yeah because he had a brand new truck so yeah. he did the non-tinted clear it, it looks almost like a layer of frozen like ice over like a whole frame of the truck yeah they saw the picture of it and it's it's all non-toxic, and you can, I guess it's food grade, so if you wanted to, you could eat it. Maybe. I'm not about to. No, no, they said it's... Your they, truck still does leak oil. I'm yeah, not yeah. it off the bottom. <laughs> I mean, they said it's safe, so like if you're, if like a dog it, Yeah, if your dog it or likes it or whatever, exactly. It's, it's fine. Uh, but mine, because the truck had kind of like a, it wasn't, the frame wasn't rusty. Yeah, but it's 30-something years old, and it was... So it has that little light coat of surface yeah. rust, because that truck came from... Uh, Colorado, so it didn't was it subjected to road salt for many years, and that's why it survived for so long. So, right. Other than a couple bits of body work that need to be done, the frame and everything was solid, and that's yeah, very of, solid. That's so one of the reasons why I bought it. Surface rust color. So, but anyways, there is a tinted version of this that's tinted black. Yeah, it's black. So I had it resprayed, and it looks basically like a brand new shiny truck underneath. It really, it looks really good. And what I was impressed with when I picked it up. I didn't talk to the guy about it. I didn't know he was going to do this. Um, but I opened the hood to check the oil, the, uh, the actual engine oil. Um, and he sprayed under the hood with the non-tinted stuff. So, like, the inner fenders are all sprayed with the clear. All the connectors and all the bolts on everything under the, under the hood are all sprayed with the clear protection. And even the front side of the radiator support, like, behind the headlights between the radiator and the grill and all that, he sprayed inside all there at the clear. So he did a really thorough job, and it looks really good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very professional, and it looks like something you'd get done with a car. I will definitely, because uh, eventually I will be selling the truck and buying a second-gen one, and hopefully one from, uh, like, the south or southwest. Right, and then protected the completely rust-free. Yeah. yeah, it will definitely be sprayed down with this before it's used in the winter. Yeah, I don't know if there's an equivalent to it in other parts of the country, but I'm sure there is. It's got to be. It's not like a proprietary New England only kind of undercoating thing. 
It's called New Hampshire Oil Undercoating, so I'm sure it's made here in New Hampshire. But there must be some kind of like a some way to get it elsewhere. It's fairly new. Yeah, it hasn't been around that long. Nope. It, and in fact, the shop that sprayed it used to spray fluid film, and they yeah. switched to this when they were sold on it by you know whatever dealer rep came yeah, out to I, them. It's definitely not. Snake but not oil. now that I've seen it, I'm used to it. I, I, yeah, I don't. I, I'm, I'm I'm convinced. I don't think it's snake oil. Nope, it, it, definitely not. It's it's pretty good. So it's really thick too. I mean, and I, I've been I've been driving Andrew's truck the past few days because. Everything I own is broken. That's a whole other story. Andrew will be funny for that, I'm sure. Um, but my truck is broken still. So I was driving Andrew's truck the past couple of days, and even driving through puddles and, and stuff that I've driven it through, I, not, none of the stuff, even in the fender wells, has moved. So it's not going to fall off immediately. It's going to be on there for the duration of the season. No, that's good. Um, yeah, so what what's going on with your project cars? Um, Nothing. It was Project House Week. So, Project House Week. Yeah. That took away from car stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, we both got older houses. Uh, you know, mine was built in the 20s, early yeah. 20s. Like, yeah, 1923 was when mine was built. Oh, so, right same. Same. so mine was 1921. So. Okay, yeah, same era. Yeah. So, but same you, problems. Yeah, you had to do a bunch of repairs to it. I, mean, I, I had a sill that was rotted to the point that the house was pretty much ready to collapse on one side. I mean, this is kind of the thing, because we... You know, we own older cars and stuff, and we're of the right age. We're just buying houses. We're not buying brand new houses. No, and I don't know. <laughs> I, not. I don't even know many people that are building new houses right now. Well, in the area we live in, especially because yeah. there's no room for them. No, so you, you buy you buy a move in, and you, you got to fix what you got to fix. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, houses that need work are not nearly as cheap as cars that need work. No, because the land is worth the money. So your house yeah. is, you know, that's funny because I I bought my house and. It, it's kind of an anomaly for New England. It was a sub two hundred thousand dollar house. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't really see that around this particular area of New England, anyway. No, nope. um, because it's very small. Um, my house is five hundred and ninety eight square feet, so it's it's you know it's like a, a condo alternative. I think they marketed it as it, marketed it as that. But now here outside of Boston, almost two hundred grand will buy you five hundred and ninety eight square feet. So yeah, it's not it won't get you it won't get you much. Um but because it was a fairly inexpensive house, it did have some things that it needed. I mean it's not it's not perfect. It's an old house. I buy like he like Andrew said, buy old houses and old cars and you gotta expect to put some work into them. Yeah, like our house was was pretty much move in ready. Uh but at some point I mean it was totally move in ready. The only thing that we would have to do is just kind of stuff that we'd want to do. Because it was basically renovated in the '80s at some points, so the whole inside looks like that. Look dated. That dated '80s look. It was like the Family Ties sitcom house. Yeah, exactly. Like green carpet, yeah, yellow no walls. That's no good. Yeah. And the inside of my house looked fine. It was just it needed, you know, like when I bought my house, in order to get an insurance homeowner's insurance policy, I needed to update the electrical. And that was part of the agreement for buying the house. It was like, hey. Well, when you buy this house, we'll insure you, but within six months, you have to put a new uh, electric circuits in the house. What did it have in it, though? It just had the old-style fuse, fuse. Like the screw-in the fuses? screw-in fuses, yeah. Weird. My house had screw-in fuses, but they didn't make the us prob- that. The problem was the box was old. Oh. So it had you know signs of corrosion on the electric oh. box, and there was some... Just it needed to be done, so... See, that's the annoying thing. We upgraded ours, but it's not like a fancy upgrade you can see. Just an upgrade that goes in the basement. So, oh, exactly. I, yeah, I got same a brand, with me. Brand new breaker box, but nobody can see that. I, I get, you know, it's better for resale, but it's also easier when one does get tripped. You just go down and flick the switch. Yeah, I, having to find fuses. I, I think I only did. I only blew one fuse with the 
with the um, dryer once. And I just screwed it in. That was it. Yeah, it's it's like. <laughs> well, it's funny because apparently, because you know, say my house was built in 1923. Yeah. Um, it was originally because I live on a little a little pond um, outside of Boston, and there was like a community area that kind of had the pond, and they had a little association on the pond, and. Yeah. Um, where I am outside of Boston was like a vacation home in the twenties because, you know, people were driving model A's. They couldn't do 75 miles an hour and get way up North and Maine for the vacation home for the weekend. So they vacationed, you know, 30 miles outside of Boston instead of a couple hundred miles outside of Boston. Mm -hmm. So the association where my house was, it wasn't a house. It was a, a store. It was a, a little community store where you'd go down to the beach in the pond and hang out with everybody and then go up and buy your, you know, penny candies and, Nickel Coca Cola is from the sliding window on the side, yeah. so there was a lot of uh, strange things where it had been cobbled together over the years, as it eventually turned from a store into a house. So it's a really cool history. I mean, I know this isn't a house podcast, but I mean, anything old with a history is is fun to talk well, about. Well, that's what the thing is. Like old houses are a lot like old cars. We always end up dealing with somebody else's kludgy repairs, yeah, yeah, or or just issues they didn't realize were there, but you discovered, and then you want to fix them. So. Yeah, that's a it's it, it's been an, a learning experience as my first house coming from apartments into a house. So yeah, I mean not that not that I just bought it. I've been there since '09, but I've been even now I'm still learning and learning and learning. Like until yesterday, I had no idea how to replace a sill. So that's quite a process, but it's not impossible. It's just something you learn how to do. So I, I didn't. I'm not going to sit here and say I did it myself. I had a, a a friendly contractor who came over and for a less pricey than somebody else as if i helped and learned along with him would you know cut me a break which helps a lot but again it was like because somebody didn't do it right the first time correct yeah they built the house as a piece of wood on cement blocks with no flashing and yeah, nothing all the just water just collected there and it yep. just rotted away oh it's just like it was just somebody being lazy it would have taken them 10 minutes to put a metal sill between the porch and the house it's weird i don't know why yeah whatever there's a lot of things like that in my house that i found but you know, it's kind of like with the old cars. You, know, you don't want to pay somebody to do the work if you can do it yourself. So that's why it's kind of a learning experience with with that. So I know it drives you crazy because, like, I had to have the furnace serviced, and uh, the expansion tank let go. Right, and it was just kind of like water was pouring out of the overflow, and it was like, Ugh. I can fix this. I maybe I can fix this, yep. but I don't know enough about it, and I don't really want to learn too much about it it's a gas furnace i don't want to mess with it right it was the same thing with our water heater i'm looking at it going it's all just lefty loosey righty tighty fittings i can probably do this but if i do screw something up it's on me if when my you know my gap my propane heated <laughs> hot water heater blows my house up i know so and then you know uh, you know you're paying the guy to do it and it's you know like it was, I think it was almost like $500 to have the service done. Right. And then I'm like, well, you know, I guess that's like if I didn't know anything about cars, I had to bring my car to the repair shop and the guy tells me the brakes are, the front brakes are gone and I'm yeah. going to charge you $500 to do it. And you're like, uh, okay. So. Yep. I'm like, ah, oh, it's, I'm like, oh, I guess that's what that's like. Yeah, it is. But that's why we're learning. Yeah. And it's, you know, if we've been fortunate enough to be able to play with our cars ever since, you know, we got our license or even before we got our licenses. So now we're learning about houses because even when we live with our parents or in apartments, if something broke, we didn't deal with it. No, so we never never really yeah. learned to do it, to do it. I had um, oh the so the wiring for the garage for the lights. There was no lights in, in the garage in my house. Right. It was there was a a light bulb fixture with the screw in thing with the plug in it. 
Yep. And you screw a light bulb in, you can plug oh, yeah, a plug yeah, in yeah. it. There was that. So an extension cord was plugged into that, run through a hole that was cut into the sill of the original house and into the garage. That seems sketchy. Yeah. And then that was run along the ceiling into just... So uh, it was plugged into a wall socket. No, Yeah, just plugged into a wall socket. Awesome. And it was just plugged into um, fluorescent things that were just kind of laid on pieces of wood hung between the rafters. Excellent plan. So that's all gone now. It's all hardwired and have switches and stuff and actual outlets in the garage. Yeah, so, I remember doing that last yeah, year. That's way better. And then, um, but that was like, that's kind of like when I bought my Gallant as a rolling shell, somebody had literally just hacked apart the wiring. I remember seeing house nuts. Yes, there yeah. were wire nuts in the, please don't put wire nuts in the car. Never. 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 I, don't, I don't care. Just don't do it. If you broke down on the side of the road and you happen to have wire nuts to fix or to repair something on the side of the road, don't do it. Uh, maybe. No, don't do it. No. No, find another way. No, because even, even when the fuel pump went in the Montero, they gave us at least butt splice yes. things. Which is almost good enough to last. Yeah. Not, maybe not for a fuel pump under the truck, but if you're doing a radio and you use butt splices, we'll allow it. That's fine. As but long as he... It was he like... Oh, man. Uh, you know, I was, I was going through this glant, putting it back together. The whole engine harness was just, like, ripped apart. Because like, it was a drag car. But I don't even understand why. Like, uh, I mean, he probably had, like, a sheet metal intake. But just run the engine harness the way it's supposed to be run. I, what I assume happened was he had like a standalone engine management in the car. Maybe. And he must have just hacked into the harness and just thrown it away when he did it. I mean, you bought it as a roller, so you don't know the true history of the car. I guess. It had a it had a separate weird fuse panel in the front so you could run the battery out of the trunk. And that was like a weird exposed thing with... It was like definitely not correct. Fuses. Yeah, so the main battery cable... From the trunk to the front was just heavy-duty speaker wire. Yep. That big red, big red wire. That clearish red speaker wire. It's yeah, the like stuff just, you see around the giant capacitor under the hood of the show car in the 90s. Yeah, it's, uh, it was bad. And there were basically, a, a, you know, if a wire needed to be extended, it was daisy-chained to another wire that was hand-twisted together and then wrapped with electrical tape. Or house nuts. Or house nuts. Yeah. yeah. We're not talking radio harness for the house nuts. We're talking under no, the hood engine, engine harness. Yeah, this was engine nuts. sensors that were just barely touching wires together yeah and, and i'm and i'm doing this i'm fixing all i'm like gee i wonder why maybe is this why the guy got rid of the car like did the thing just not run right and he blew the motor up because all the wiring was messed up easily could have been uh, i don't know but it took but me... it was a drag car a lot a lot of them just get run hard and they get blown up and people don't so, want to build them twice i mean that was at least i was able to find uh i had a parts car talon and i pulled the engine harness out of that and then i bought from a part out i bought an engine harness for the glant and I patched together it back with the, I would take the wire, I'd find the actual wire from the same connector, I'd cut basically a pigtail off of it, and then butt splice and solder it back together, and then wrap it back up with electrical tape. So it's like a proper looking harness again. Yeah. Which like, when you were doing it, people were saying, why are you doing this? But now that once it was done, it was kind of like one of those, wow, that yeah. looks really good. Yeah, it looks like it should. It, it looks, looks professional. It looks like yep. it was built that way. Mm-hmm. So if we uh, turn the story from uh, our house issues into uh, car projects, you have that story. I have a pretty good one, too, about my blue Colt, as far as kludgy former repairs go, well, or former like, owners go. I, I see it. It's almost, you know, it's so close. It's, like, it's the same thing. You're just, you're, you're, if you care about something and you want to do it correctly, and you're buying something old, you're going to be fixing problems from people who just didn't care. And there's some stuff 
but it's not some aren't always people that don't care. Sometimes they just miss stuff. They don't realize it's there. It's more fun to talk about the ones they don't care about. Yeah. Like my blue Colt. Yes. Um, not to steal the subject here, but that's my favorite story of anyone that I've had so far. Yeah. When I went, the front wheel bearings were loose. So it was like a, you know, you pick, you feel the front end was not going down the road in a straight line. You could Mm -hmm. feel the wheel shaking. You jack the car up. You could move it maybe a half an inch in all directions. That was it. Wasn't good. No, so you're like, oh, the wheel bearing's blown. I was like, out. oh, yeah, it needs a new wheel bearing. So I take the wheel off, jack the car up, take the wheel off. Um, realize there's no cotter pin on the end of the axle, the end of the subshaft. So that's weird. And then I look a little closer, and there is um, these little bubblegum welds on the little, on the edge of the nut. So apparently they decided at some point to put the axle nut on and then instead of using a cotter pin they welded it to the subshaft so that's obviously the incorrect way to do things it wasn't done very tight so what had happened was over the years of driving the car whoever the previous owner was drove the car with the loose front end and just destroyed the wheel bearings so i went through this whole entire process now of not only having to cut out the welds on the on the, on the shaft and get the nut off of it. Then I had to re-thread the end of the axle shaft and then put the new bearings in. So I went through the whole entire process of putting the new bearings in and making everything work, and the wheel was still loose. Oh, it wore on the spindle. Because it was loose for so long, yeah. it wore a, a channel out on the spindle itself, and it just made it so you couldn't put a, a bearing on there that would be tight anymore. So now, after all that work, I'm like... Son of a, I have to do it all again and find a, you know, it's not exactly, you can go to AutoZone and buy a spindle for a 78 Dodge Colt. So I had to find a used spindle from somebody who did a part out on one at some point and, and wait for that to come from Ohio and then get the bearings and hope that was the problem. And it was, thankfully, but it was just like they welded the axle nut at the on the end of the spindle. I don't understand that. Yeah, I wonder if it was... How hard is it to find a, a, a cotter pin? Is it easier access to a welder than I, a cotter pin? I know. I almost wonder if the wheel bearing went bad, seized, ruined the spindle. They tried to put a wheel bearing in it. It was still loose. Even then, it wasn't like you can tighten the nut any further down no. with, a, with a weld than you can with a cotter pin. Yeah, because... I, I mean, put mechanics wire in it. I mean, you can do anything. Oh, yeah, that's Put true. a zip tie in it for all I care. Do anything other than weld it to the actual yeah. Uh, shaft. Yeah, it's like a, you can buy a box of cotter pins for like five bucks. Right, but there's so many ways you can fix it. A whole roll of mechanics wire, a thousand feet is like five dollars. That's so weird. I mean, it's not the right way to do it, but it's certainly better than welding it. Ugh. It was just one of those things that you find the problem and you're like, how, how is this even possible? Who is this much of a hack? Like, yeah. if you're, you're hacky enough to do this, yet you still know how to operate a welder. Well, the welds weren't very good. <laughs> well, no, but they can operate a welder. It's not something you do for your first mechanic I th- class. I think I could operate a welder. It wouldn't be very good. Well, no. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's impossible to weld. I'm not saying it's a lost art to weld. <laughs> Anybody can do a basic weld. But if you have the equipment to, do, to weld on an axle nut, you damn well better have something else to do that. To do with so that. Weird. It's just, it's just not right. Oh the oh remember the <laughs> the Montero was uh the guy said the transfer case was loose so it would bang over bumps so when I bought it he had it uh, a ratchet strap around the transfer case Oh my god I forgot about that yeah <laughs> So I get under there and I look I'm like okay and there's this one mount that looked like it was busted 
and it had a bunch of like a big air gap around it. It's what? it's sort of like a tie down almost to keep it, I think, from from over torquing because it, it's sort of on the it's sort of on the side of the engine that if it torqued, it would turn and hit. And it, and it turns out that it's supposed to have a, an air gap. It's supposed to be able to move. It's supposed to be able to move. Yeah. So so he thought that was busted, and he had put a ratchet strap around. I was like, okay, that's fine. So I took the ratchet strap off. And Actually, nothing moved. <laughs> nothing moved, and nothing, and it was still banging. And it, and then I did a, uh, I was fooling around the transmission because this is this is another story we'll get into at some other point. But it ended up needing a uh, transmission mount because that was and that's what was banging. busted. Nope, that was not what was banging. I did that; it was still banging. I was like, this is weird. So the trailing arms that run from the middle of the truck to the rear axle, because it's a three-link. Right. With a... Uh, Unlike my Montero, which is a... Yeah, the leaf spring. Leaf spring, yeah. So it's got the, the uh, painted rod and the trailing arms. Those have big bushings at the end of them that were completely uh, shot. Like big rubber bushings? Yep. And uh, so I took, and I looked up, there are... Uh, Company White Line out of Australia. Same ones that you got the bushings for the Galant from, the sway bar bushings and stuff. Yeah, they make a lot of performance bushings right. and stuff. And because in Australia, Pieros or Monteros are really popular. They yeah. actually make polyurethane bushings yeah, for good bush trucks. Yeah, so it was like 40 bucks for these bushings. I put them in there, and the rattle went away. So basically, as I went over bumps, the rear trailing arms were banging in the frame. So a simple fix that people chased forever and fixed the ratchet strap somehow, which is I mean, I was awesome gonna, kludgy repair. I didn't realize that was what was making the noise. I was just going to replace those bushings anyways because they were. You could see that they were see just they were dry rotted and like just blown out. Yep. So just enough movement that they were hitting the frame. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Yeah. But it's you talk about ratchet straps. I I have used personally a ratchet strap and a kludgy repair before. Yeah. Um, only to get me home though. Oh yeah. In the Audi, because I was driving down the highway and. Audi 4K. Uh, Audi, uh, 1987 Audi 4000. Um, so the door handles are going to fall off of it anyways. Well, they don't fall off. They just stop working. <laughs> you, you have to know how to open them. That's all. It's a, it's a, what did you say? It was a, it's a pinch, not a pull. A pinch, don't pull. Exactly. <laughs> you have to pinch and lift. Everybody that doesn't know walks out of the car and tries to rip the door handles off. Yeah, it, it won't open at all. Well, this is really any older like Volkswagen. Um, the same door handles is like a Porsche 944. So if you're yeah. familiar with those, it's the or same like a, mechanism. Probably a Mark One and a Mark II Golf. Uh, I think they're different. They're different on those cars. Yeah? Yeah. I, I think the me- mechanism is different. Um, I know you can use the handles from a 944 on a Mark II Golf, yeah. but... I don't remember. I had a Mark II Golf. I don't remember the handles being the same. Maybe they were. My memory's fuzzy, but I know the same door handles as the 944, oh. and they're a pain to open. I used to laugh. People, you know, you can lock the car. Why bother? Nobody can get in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I was driving home with that on the highway one day, and the exhaust had been pieced together, you know, oh, a thousand funny. times, um, and it snapped off on the front of the catalytic converter. Um, and I'm sitting there, and it's dragging on the ground, and it looks like a pole vault out of the car. It's facing forward, so it hits on everything. So I'm trying to think, how am I going to get home with this car? How am I going to home with this car? And then I dug through the trunk, and I had a ratchet strap in the trunk, and I wrapped it all the way around the top of the car <laughs> and had to get in from the back door because I had ratchet strapped over the doors. <laughs> oh, But yeah. it got me home. Oh, that's right. We were, driving the, we were driving the Subaru one day, and over by my house there's some train tracks, and we went over the train tracks, and the exhaust broke. Basically, at the back, right on the 
on a Subaru, you've got that mid pipe that comes out of the front cat. Yep. And there's a big mid pipe in the middle of the car and then the muffler, and it broke right before the muffler. So it just dropped to the ground. It the dropped to the ground like a block from the house. It just sounded terrible. So I just I went in there. I had a a, a um, bungee cord in the car and then yep. strapped it up. Whatever it takes. <laughs> and then, you know. This, this this whole exhaust falling off conversation, it goes right into our big salt conversation from last week because this, the reason they fall apart is because of these salty roads. Yeah. I mean, at least newer, a lot of newer cars are using like stainless, uh, yeah. like a lot of stainless in the exhaust yeah. now, uh, and that's good. But still, uh, like I know, like my dad's Outlander, it's fairly common as those cars get older, the flex pipes go. Oh, flex pipes go on a lot of cars because yeah. the nature of the flex pipe is it's a weaved or, or woven well, it's metal, like, and you can get the salt will penetrate in between the weaves, or wo- woves, weaves. Well, it's like weaves. an accordion underneath that, and then the, yep. it's woven over it. To try to make it stronger, I think. But yeah, everything it traps everything, it traps everything in there, the moisture, dirt, and then which the the old Rally Mirage was famous for breaking flex pipes. Yeah, I had a shop I used to go to like every other month and get a new flex pipe installed. <laughs> that poor car had like four flex pipes yeah, welded to, into it. To the point where I'd roll with the guy and he'd be like, Need a flex pipe? Yes I do. Yeah. And he wasn't charging me enough that I think he was doing it on purpose. He wasn't like half welding them in. He was only charging me like you know, $35 to fix it every time I went there. And I think eventually I got to one point where I just put a whole new flex pipe in it because it couldn't be you rewelded. Put a whole new front pipe in it, yeah. Yeah, because it couldn't be rewelded anymore. It, it probably could have been with some help, but... It, you were welding on top of welds. Yeah, it was pretty ugly. It was gross. But again, that's a car that was 230,000 miles in New England. Yeah, yeah, the salt started it. That, that thing, the, the salt cancer got it. Yeah, it went, it went fast. Yeah. It went fast. It was a Mirage, so like the metal was already thin to begin with. Yeah, it was a cheap car. It was like a $7,000 <laughs> car at 95 So uh, any other kludgy repair stories you can think of that you've had over the past? From, mm. from previous owners. I mean, you haven't had as many cars probably because you keep them for a lot longer than I do. Yeah, I mean, there is so much stuff with that Montero. It was owned by a not very, not the smartest man. No. I think I think I got. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else, like off the top of my head, probably blocked out a bunch of stuff. Oh, exactly, exactly. What goes back to like my Cutlass, you know, because you know we were kids and we didn't know. And I was talking about how we were driving that car, and we had no idea. It didn't even have sway bar links because they were rotted <laughs> off of it. But what the hell do we know? We're 17 nope. years old. Nope. So and you know I I had a clutch repair when I had my Talon because I was a teenager again. I was 19. And I sent it to a mechanic to do a timing to to do a to touch a tire belt. I was driving it and didn't know anything about cars, or I knew about cars, but not like the mechanics of a Japanese car. So I well, came from a domestic. You grew up with American cars, yeah, exactly. So we every car has timing chains, and that's all you worry about. You don't worry about it. So I had no idea what a timing belt was, and you know, at one hundred and ten thousand miles, the motor let go, and it fell apart. I wouldn't call it a kludgy repair. But I sent it to a shop to fix it, and the new motor they built for it lasted maybe 100 miles, maybe 200 miles. It wasn't very long because they didn't install a keyway on the camshaft. <laughs> so it just fell off. The cam gear fell off, blew it on the motor within 200 miles. So even professionals can make mistakes like that. So it's not. Well, that car had a dark cloud over it anyways. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> that, car, that car broke my teenage wallet. The car... I don't know. <laughs> Three motors, two transmissions. Yeah, I still love Mitsubishis. 
Actually, the the very last transmission that went into it is still, still in your it's town. In my town, yeah. so I gave you the dark cloud. Sorry, lives on. Yeah, whatever. I do miss the car, but the problem, the only reason I even put any money into it was because I bought the car. It needed paint. I spent a good amount of money getting the car painted, and it looked brand spanking new. And not a month after I got it painted, when the motor let go. Now you know you do all the mechanical stuff. Mechanic first, first yeah. Because <laughs> then the motor let go, and I was like, "All right, well, I just spent the money painting it. I'm gonna put a motor in it." Paid somebody to put a motor in it. Motor let go again. Thankfully, that was under warranty. Um, but the laborer to pull it out and put it back in again wasn't, even though it was their fault. That was a whole mm. fight right there. Put the motor in it, then maybe six months later, the transmission let go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it was just a, a snowball effect. And when the final time when the motor let go, I just said, "Forget it. I'm all done. I can't sink another dollar into this car." I wish I had now and kept the car, but you know, live and learn. Hmm. Right. Knowing now what I, knowing now, knowing now what I didn't know then, I would have been able to keep the car there a lot less expensively. Yeah, I mean they still they still pop up every now and then. Like, oh yeah, you can definitely find a clean one at some point if you want to ever want to. I'm just it. waiting for another blue ninety. Yeah, or ninety one. Same thing. Just being very specific about it. That's all. Maybe uh, a white one. Wrong button on the computer, Andrew. Yeah. Shall right. we do some listener questions? I think we should, because we're going pretty good on time already, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, let's do some listener questions. I think we'll do this, like, uh, it seems to work all right every other week. Yeah. So this is the other week. Did you pull them off of both of our pages? I pulled them off three of our pages. So there was my page, your page. Okay, that's all we get. And uh, the actual main auto off topic page. There was only, like, one on there, I think. Excellent. Thanks to the, the Facebook logarithms now, nobody sees that because we don't promote it. you, you got to pay for clicks now. Yeah, and I and I think stupid. I think Instagram's the same way now, too. 100%. I yeah. noticed. And, and that changed right when I made my Vine page. It's really hard to get anything organically. Like, I don't you know. have to like other people's content so they can see you liking it. And then go back through it that I way. Know, I do that sometimes. It's, just, it's harder to do that because you're doing it in your own accounts. So, All right. So what do we have for questions? Starting with question number one. This one is from uh, Jeremy Nutt. Former owner of My Gallant. Yes. Uh, Excellent he, mechanic. Yes. Good welder. Yeah, very very good with bodywork welding. He's got some cool uh, LS swap Impala. He does. Yeah, so, LQ9 powered 64 yeah. Impala convertible with a big turbo. Mm-hmm. I think we need to have him on to talk about that. I think we need to have him let us drive that to the podcast one day so we can Maybe. experience it yeah. in the summertime. All right. So Jeremy asks... Will American cars from the mid to late 70s ever gain value, or are they destined to be worthless forever? Define value, Andrew. Because they're worth more than they were 10 years ago already. Yeah. Take a, we'll talk, uh, the the Colonnade Coupes, those are the late 70s GM cars, the Cutlasses, the Monte Carlos. What are they called? They call them the Colonnade Coupes. I don't know, I forget the whole definition for the name. Um but that so was that body is style. Is that a G body? It was before they were G bodies. I don't know the letter designation. I'm sorry. They were G bodies from '83 on. Okay. Um, they were they were big cars. They were really big cars. They had really like fancy designed quarter panels oh, and fenders, really right. swoopy panels on them. Um, but like, so they'd be like Pontiacs, Buicks, exactly. It was a Pontiac Le Mans, Oldsmobile Cutlass, uh, Chevy Malibu, Malibu or Caprice. Wouldn't the Caprice, Caprice? Caprice was bigger though. It wasn't Caprice. Bigger? Yeah, okay. it would have been the, the Malibu. But they or wouldn't have been Monte Carlo. 
like a Cadillac was a bigger car, different car line. I don't think Cadillac had a version of it. It was the mid-range. Right. But the the lower-end versions of those cars forever were the uh, cars you would see, you know, and, and I don't want to you know, talk about, you know, social classes here, but they were the car all through the 80s and 90s that you'd see the person who didn't have their life together was driving. They yeah. were old, rotted, you know, quarter panels flapping in the breeze, you know, just the car you could buy at a buy-here-pay-here lot and get a couple years out of it and get a new one. Um Base models still aren't worth a ton of money. Yeah, I guess it has to do with desirability. But the special edition ones are starting to go up crazy in value. It used to be, you know, and there were sticker packages. You know, the the Cutlass had a 442, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't much performance-wise because it was mid-'70s American. But the car itself now, if you have a 442, is, you know, 15, 20 grand for a really clean one. Now, that's not as much money as a 70 442 or, you know, 66 442 or 67, whatever the first year was. Um, But... It's twenty grand to me for a late seventies GM coupe is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's pretty good value. Um, as far as the regular cars go, someday and, and once everything is gone and there's only a few left, yeah, they'll be worth a couple of dollars. I don't think they'll ever be worth as much as late sixties muscle cars. But it all depends on the value you're talking about. I mean, I nostalgia makes value. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's nostalgic for something, if somebody who was in the 90s as one of those people that didn't have the money to buy a nice car and was driving around in their 77 Monte Carlo, someday says, hey, now I've made it. I have a house, a family, a garage. I kind of miss that old car. I'd like to find another white 77 Monte Carlo with a red velour interior. They might wind up doing that, and that's going to drive the value up. Again, is it going to be a lot of money? No. Is it going to be 5 10 15 grand for a real clean one someday? Probably. Subjected for today's inflation, not the future's inflation. Well, like, uh, definitely late Trans Ams are up in value. Oh, big time. A real clean one, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother-in-law just bought one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't say what he paid for it, but he paid a good amount of money for it. It's a, a blue um, blue on black final with the blue bird in the hood and the blue pinstripes. And it's a four-speed car, four-speed big block car. Yeah, uh, and it's actually fast for a late seventies car. Well, once all the emissions, all the emissions stuff's been taken off. Yeah, which is you can do. It still has a factory carb. Yeah, um, but it has you know headers and all mm-hmm. the vacuum lines and which stuff are gone. Technically, it's still not legal, but you you, you get a pass now, kind of. It's not a daily driven car. It's not the end no of the world. people people let it go now because it's, it's whatever. But it sounds really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I drove that car when the, the previous owner had it. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a great car. We'll put a picture of that up on the, on the, the podcast page. Um, and I don't know if... I don't think... Late 70s Camaros weren't as good looking? That's subjective. Oh, well, I'm thinking of the, the mid... 75, 76, with 77. The bumpers. With the aluminum bumpers were ugly. Yeah. I, I like the 80, 81s. With the plastic bumpers? Yeah, the yeah, urethane okay, bumpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being, mm-hmm. being a, a, a child of 1981, I was born in May yeah. of 81, um... I've always, I mean, a Camaro owner, yeah. I've always kind of wanted an 81 Z28 just because it's the year I was born. Um, they make some cool colors back then. They all had the, the tri-tone Z28 stripes, like mm-hmm. the sunset stripe style. You get a black one with orange and red and, and, and yellow stripes. You get a blue one with a three-tone blue stripe. Um, there's a pale yellow that had like a three-tone pale yellow stripe. There's there some really cool colors, a, a brown one with three-tone brown stripes. Are there any Dodges of those years that would be cool? Um, it depends on your definition of cool. Again, that's subjective. Anything, were, let's say anything that's like got a V8. You would have been looking kind of, at like uh, um, 
the Chrysler Imperials would have been the big car. Um, but then the Dodge, well, the they're, they're, Mar- Marotta. They're captive imports. <laughs> oh, we love their captive imports. We're not talking about those. Um, which also, for some reason, will never be worth anything. Um, but like the, the Marotta, which was a, the midsize car, it was probably a little bigger than a Camaro, but smaller than you know the big Chryslers. Hmm. But that could be half the 360. Uh, not that it was a high performance 360, but it was, they're kind of a cool car. If you want to look them up, I mean, they had some of the typical late seventies adornments to them. You can get them mm-hmm. with the quarter vinyl top and the hideaway, like Chrysler, New Yorker style headlights. And which actually that's the one right there too, is the late seventies, early eighties Chrysler, New Yorkers, the four doors were still rear wheel drive V8 cars. Mm-hmm. So those were kind of cool. You know, you see them in like, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, yeah, the kind of guy, kind of cop cars they drove back. Did the yeah. Dodge Diplomats? Yeah. Those are kind of cool cars, and they're not worth a ton of money, and they're kind of a fun way to get into a rear-wheel drive V8 car now, cheaply. And again, will they be worth a ton of money ever? Not a ton of money, but as time marches on, and there are less of them, and people want them, the values are going to rise on everything. The uh, the Cadillac that my grandfather has has is kind of cool. The '75 El Dorado. Yep, white on red leather. Right. With the white quarter vinyl roof and yeah. the big sunroof and the 500 I mean, cubic inch V8. Front wheel drive. So right. it's, it's not real drive, but it's kind of interesting because it's front wheel drive. And it's just a yeah, giant boat of a car. But, you know, I don't know. It's They'll only be worth is what people are willing to pay for these. And I don't know if they if they get more desirable, I guess they'll go up. And, and once, once there's less of anything... The ones that are left will be worth more, period. Yeah. And it's just a march of time. You can't do anything about it. I'm trying to think it. of anything that Ford had in those years. I well, mean, they that, had the Mustang twos, which some yeah. of those are going up in value. Yeah. Um, this, and not so much like a, a Gia or a, a base model, mm-hmm. but some of the Cobra twos and the Mach 1s and the stuff they had in mm-hmm. the late 70s, those are starting to go up in value. And the other wild card is anything that's low mileage seems to be worth more, significantly more than their daily driven counterparts. Okay. You know, I've seen a couple of Mustang twos, even base model Mustang twos that have five, six, seven thousand miles on them that are going for, you know, 20 grand plus. All right. Well, let's do Jeremy's other question. Uh, and Jeremy says, sometimes I wish I never bought a 4G63 because it's such an addiction. Uh, curse slash curse. Uh, if you were 15 again, knowing what you know now, what automotive, automotive direction would you head in? Um, so if we're talking like if I, if I went back in time and I was 15 and I knew what I knew now, I would have tried to buy a Porsche air cooled, right? Only talking value. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause I would have, maybe I would have bought cars that would have, uh, uh, gone up in value. Thought more with your wallet and less with your head. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what I would have done. I, I don't think as far as mechanically the cars that I've had that I've had problems with it, I don't regret any of it because it's all brought me to where I am now. Um, I don't think if I had never owned a Talon, I never would have gotten into the old Mitsubishis that I have now. I don't think I'd have the Raider and all the Colts and the Starions. And you probably would have got there eventually. Who, who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But I think that car is what introduced me to it, so I don't think I'd want to change that. Nope. I, think, I think I'm pretty happy with that. And maybe it's a cop-out in the question, but I, I'm, I'm happy with the automotive direction my life has taken. Yep. Maybe it's because I still own the Camaro I owned when I was 15, yeah, too. Yeah, that's but. true. All right. Uh, Jordan Milm asks, what modifications did you make to a car as a teenager that make you facepalm looking back? So that kind of bookends the other one a little bit. Um, I guess would be my my red intake pipes in my Talon and the red valve cover I did. Yeah, well, red means fast. Yeah, because it looks really cheesy on that car because the car is like beige. 
It looked good at the time. It did look good at the time, but I was 19. It doesn't look great now. Well, what it was was you wanted to open the hood and somebody to know that you had done work in there. I think it's more what it was back then. You were trying to show that, hey, something happened here. Um, I never really did much as far as modifications went back then because I was always buying cars and trying to keep them running (laughs) versus modifying ones that I had. So I can't really say that. I'd say that, you know, I, I, I can laugh about having a boombox in the backseat of my Cutlass rather than putting a radio in it. Or even better than that, the boombox in the backseat of the Cutlass with the cassette tape adapter plugged into my disc man on the center console <laughs> was a good combination. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. But no no heavy modifications. I didn't do any, like, neons or spoilers. I never got into that stuff. Nope. You know, my, my Talon was the first car I modified, and I did... Uh, even today, looking back, a tasteful set of wheels, the Enki RSEs, mm-hmm. um, KYB struts, Eibach shocks, and sorry, KYB struts and Eibach springs. And, yep. I mean, I did fairly tasteful not things sport, for a teenager. The, not even the pro the sport lines? Or the, not even the pro lines, but the sport lines. It was the ones that didn't lower to It was like much. an inch and a half, yeah. not like the two and a half inch. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think I, and not to pat myself on the back, but I never got sucked into that whole nope. craze of teenage modifications. Uh, all right. Joe Stanley asks, uh, my car's tire pressure warning light has been on for about two months. When should I think about getting this taken care of? Don't worry about it. Well, you should check to make sure your tires are filled, filled with air. Yeah. Just, tell, tell Joe, as, don't worry about as it. As long as they're filled with air, it doesn't matter. We screwed up Joe's question last time because when he asked about the... It was a dessert rally car? He, he, was, he didn't misspell desert. He really wanted to know how to modify his car for the dessert rally, which... I don't know what it is. It's open to interpretation. It was obviously a joke that he was making to us, but it just meant he wanted to I have to go to dessert rally. I Actually, wanna... Or is the dessert rally after like Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas I, dinner? I that's the dessert eat, rally. Eat, 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 eat. You can't eat anymore. Make it to the checkpoint. Yeah. Pie, pie number two. <laughs> anyway, moving on. All right. Yes. Uh, check, check, check your tires. Yes. If just... they have air in them, don't worry about it. Yeah. If it feels squirmy, put air in the tires. That's right. Uh, Chris Dorado. Do you find yourself having to explain why you like Japanese cars to your friends and family often? All the time. Yes. <laughs> All the time. Uh, and then it says, even if fellow car, even fellow car guys like I do, it's always difficult to explain why you like something when there really isn't any one reason. Nobody ever questions why someone likes the 70s American muscle car. Those all can't be awesome, right? I mean, I owned a 72 Chevy Nova as my first car. Did I love it and still miss it? Of course. Was it a great car? Not a chance. No, and, he, and he's right. And I think what it, it, it grew out for me, and I have to answer this all the time to everybody. Yeah. Wait, you have a 68 Camaro? Why are you driving an 80 Colt? Exactly. Because it's different. I, I, I like having something that's just different. Well, I like something that means something to me. I, I like, I, I don't, I, do I have any ill-conceived notions that my Colt is a collector car and will be worth money in the future? No, I just enjoy it because it's different. People like it. The, the yeah. nostalgia factor comes up. They look at it. They go, wow, one of these is still around. Yeah. Um, but as far as why I own them, I have no reason. And and I have to same thing. I have to explain it to people. Why do you own these? I can't tell you. See, I, I, don't, just find, like them. I don't find I have to explain it that often because most of the people I know are, are, into, are into the yeah. same type of cars I am. They're just into eclectic mix of cars like... Well, I'm talking like when you have, when you go to work at a job somewhere. Yeah, I guess. But you know. those they aren't car people, so fuck them. Well, it's true, <laughs> but it's funny because you know I come from a body shop background. I've worked in body shops all the time. They don't get it. And the last body shop I worked in, he wouldn't let me park the car out front. Yeah, 
he was embarrassed by my car. Now, the yeah. car is not a rusty mess. It's just it's an old car, and he thought that having an old car out front sent the wrong message. He wanted me to park down the street or tuck it in the back parking lot, which I hated, but, you Whatever. know, what am I going to do if we sign my paycheck? Yeah, Whatever. Those people don't get it. Yeah. We, they, if they don't get it, they don't get it. Do what makes you happy and screw everybody else. I'm in the cars to be in the cars. Yep. If I had a shit ton of money, I'd have really expensive cars because I could. Yep. I, somebody one time told me that when I was older, when I, when I was a teenager and I was outside washing my car or yeah. something, hey, when you're older, you're not going to care about this because, you know, you're just doing it now to get girls. And I'm like, do you, do you see my car? Do you think any girls are attracted to my 1985 Oldsmobile Cutlass or not? I don't think they are. <laughs> I'm doing this for me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I drive a brown Dodge Colt now. I drove a maroonish brown 85 Cutlass then. I like my cars different. You know, I like performance cars, absolutely, but I also like just cool-looking, weird old cars. Yeah, you just drive what you want. Exactly. Do what you want and screw everybody else. In fact, I mean, my dad said you know, he had muscle cars when he was younger. He drove them back, then, you know, when they were almost 70s, new. Yep. He doesn't want to drive them again. He, if he was going to buy a newer performance car, he'd buy it, or he was going to buy a, like a car again that was like an enthusiast car. He'd buy a new car, like a newer Corvette or a newer Mustang or something. That's because he's tired of working on our old cars. No, I think it's just because <laughs> he knows how terrible they are to drive around when you can just have the same performance. You have like way See, better that, performance. That's the thing. I I disagree with that statement too. And you know, I'm not going to discredit your father here because he's your father and he's taught me almost everything I know about mechanics. Um, but I prefer that old car feel. That's what I like about it. I like driving old cars because I like that feeling of well, hey, he drove old cars used to be. when they were new cars. Maybe yeah. <laughs> so now he wants to drive new yeah, cars. Maybe that's true. <laughs> he's seen the march of time make things better. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Maybe I'm just being a hipster here, but I like old cars. <laughs> I like the way old cars feel. I don't like to disconnect with new cars. Yeah. All right. Uh, Joe Osborne asks, do trunk monkeys actually work? And uh, only if you believe they do. Only if you're a Subaru driver, so I can't <laughs> answer this question because I've never owned a Subaru. Uh, Tim Reed, does Brad ever get tired of explaining he drives a Mitsubishi, not a Datsun? Uh, nobody around here, Tim, knows what a Datsun is. Because we live in the Rust Belt. Um, I get tired of explaining to them how it's a Mitsubishi and not a Dodge because every emblem on the car says Dodge. Um, I wouldn't say people think it's a, a Datsun. No. People don't know what it is. Um, I like talking about my car. That's why we have a podcast. So I guess I can't say I get tired of explaining it because once somebody knows what it is, they either you can tell by their reaction if they care or if they're just like, shut up and leave me alone and... You can do either of those things, so I, I don't get tired of it. No, if if I if I if I didn't want to talk about my car, I'd drive a new Corolla. Um, Andrew just lost his tablet here with all of the questions the on questions it. Questions so went blank. Let me pull it off my phone I real it was, quick. Who's Rob Val wanted uh, to know about Harbor Freight Tools? Which ones are good? Which ones are bad? Which ones are, well, if we had any good ones or any bad ones. Oh, yes, as far as um, heavier tools. Like uh, not 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 hand tools, but like engine stands and stuff. I would absolutely go Harbor Freight. Not a lot of moving parts. If the, exactly. The fewer moving parts that the tool has, generally the the better chance you'll have with it. Like your your sandblast cabinet's a Harbor Freight cabinet, right? Yeah, that works really and good. It works awesome. Uh, the other thing that was really good is basically every shop that I've worked in over the last like five to ten years, all the guys use Harbor Freight toolboxes now. Right, because they're cheap. And they it's like are, one month's payment on a snap-on box. <laughs> they are literally just as good. 
The only the only thing I can say about the Snap-on box is they're all lifetime warranty and they have the yeah, trade-in exactly. programs and all that stuff. But how many to- how many Harbor Freight boxes can you buy in a lifetime and still not equal the cost of one Snap-on box? Oh my god, it's unbelievable the the prices they charge in those trucks. Yeah, Fifteen to twenty grand for a, for, a, like, for a Snap-on box that in the equivalent Harbor Freight box costs seven hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, even less for some. I, I mean, I have worked with a couple of guys that. Like, or one guy that had one of those gigantic boxes yeah. that you could live in. Like, I mean, it was oh, like yeah, a, it was television like a, on the top. It was like a tool condo. It's like, yep. what are you doing? Yeah, no, I have a, my, a good friend of mine who's a, a body man has a, a fancy, had it custom built snap on box. It's got the chrome wheels and yeah. it's white. And yeah. he had his friend who's a pinstripe, brick mountain pinstripe, the whole thing. And it's cool. And the way he looks at it is, hey, I, you know, I, I have this. It's my livelihood. I wanted it to be nice. I didn't want the Harbor Freight box. I wanted something fancy. If I mean, and, if you and if you can afford it and you can do it, if you're, wonderful. It's if like you're, buying a Mercedes over buying a Corolla. Yeah, buy if, what you want. If you're in a nice shop and you can, like, it'll be taken care of. Right, I, I get that. But which some, is which he is. Yeah, which some of these shops are really shitty, and you don't want yep. your nice toolbox in there because it's going to get shitty. Yeah, and, but again, it's the same argument between, like I said, buy a Mercedes or Corolla. Yeah, They're both so. a car. They'll both get you from point A to point B, but you can spend more on one to have a fancier one. Uh, I don't really have any horror stories of Harbor Freight tools. I did try to buy a rotary tool, like a knockoff Dremel there, because yep. I literally just needed it to grind a, a, a groove into a rounded-off screw. Was it screw. a battery one? or a... No, it was a plug-in one, okay. and it just it fell apart, and I just was like, fuck Because I bought the rechargeable one and there I just threw once, it away. The, same, the problem was it didn't fall apart, but the battery wouldn't hold a charge. Oh, and it probably did, did it even have enough torque? Was it just like and like stop when you yeah, touch something with it? Yeah. yeah, it was useless. It was like a toy. Although for the four dollars I paid for it, it came with a ton of attachments that work in my real Dremel, mm. so that's fine. All right. So uh, one tool that I do know is absolute garbage from there because I've bought a ton of them at for one project was the uh, exhaust pipe expander. Yeah, that doesn't work. There doesn't it's a lot of moving parts in a small tool, and it breaks. There, um, it expands pipe once and never goes back to normal again. If you want to do like a backyard paint job, their paint gun works pretty good. Yeah, it works very well. I, I have an airbrush from them; works well too. I use the paint gun to do my OZ wheels. Yep. With my paint, I bought at AutoZone. The, yeah, just the, the gravity feed color. gun. Yep. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no nope, again. There's no moving really parts. It's just gravity feed gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a friend who has a even a compressor from there that he swears by, and it's. Yeah probably five years old now and still works fine so i mean there there's a there's a time and a place for the tools i don't think if you're a mechanic by trade and you want to have a ratchet set i would buy it from there because Mm-mm. you know it's going to break on you at an inopportune time when you're trying to make money um but if you need to have that odd sized wrench that you'd only need for one project you know like a 20 you know, 27 millimeter wrench or something weird like that that you only need for one project I get no problem buying it from Harbor Freight. Or, or if you want to leave a, a set of tools in the car, buy the cheap ones at Harbor Freight. Every car of mine has a set of metric wrenches in the glove yeah, box I get from some Harbor cheap Freight. Ones. Yep. Or even though, like the cheap ones from like Home Depot or something, Husky. Yeah, the Husky earlier. ones are fine too. For just that. the just leave it in there because we we had talked about this. If we we haven't really done it yet, but if we ever flew anywhere to pick up a car or buy a car, just stop at Harbor Freight. We'll stop at Harbor Freight and buy some metric tools. Yep. Which maybe come April when I go to Arizona. Yeah. Buy a Gen Two Montero. Yeah. And just throw it in the back so you get tools in case you need it. Because if you've 100%. got them with you, ideally, you won't need them. It's kind of like a camera. The best camera is the one you have with you. Yeah, exactly. And tools. The best tool you have is the one you have with you. Yeah. I mean, they'll definitely work in a pinch. So. Yep. It's, but the time and a place for them. You know, does if a, you're a hobbyist, it's fine. If the, you're a mechanic, maybe not. Does a $100 set of metric snap-on wrenches turn the same bolts as a 
$20 set from Harbor Freight? It does. It does. It does. And actually, the Craftsman stuff's all warrantied, too. So if you want to go... Oh, I, lo- I love Craftsman stuff. Almost bought- all of my tools are Craftsman. Actually, you know what's a really good brand, and they sell it at Sears, they sell it a lot of places, is Gear Wrench. Yep, Gear Wrench is a great brand. And, and those are all warrantied, too. And it's it's not even their Gear Wrench ratchets. They make just regular, regular tools, box yeah. wrenches, too, yep. that are really, really good. And like, if you're on a budget, they're really good. That's what yeah, I, I, I would. I would much rather buy, t- and I would use Sears Craftsman and Gear Wrench tools professionally as well. Yeah, I've been using. I've been there. buying Craftsman stuff and the Gear Wrench stuff for my house. Yep, same so. thing. All right, uh, Nathan Goble asks: uh, As someone shopping for a car battery, what is the best cold weather battery in the market? The most cold cranking amps that fits in your car. Yeah, period. Well, basically, yeah, look for cold cranking amps that at least meet the minimum that your car needs, and then go try to find one that's higher than that in the same group size. In the same size, yeah. As uh, far as battery manufacturers go, there's only three or four anyway, aren't there? And they no, all just rebrand like one them? one or two. Oh, is it even that low? I don't even know what the second one is. Interstate is the big one, and they make interstates. They make a bunch of OEM batteries. Yeah, a lot of them are the same batteries, just with different stickers different on stickers them. Different stickers on them. Yep. Interstate also makes Optima batteries. Which uh, I've got a yellow top in the Montero. I've had good luck with. That is an AGM battery, which is the absorbed glass mat. Right. So they discharge faster uh, it, when when you go to start. That's that's what it, that's what I mean. Is they discharge faster to give you more. It gives juice, you more starting power. Yeah. More starting power. So you can get like a red top for your car uh, with good cold crank amps. And then the other good thing about those Optima batteries, they're all sealed. So they don't yep. give off gases under your hood. Doesn't that, cause any rust issues that on That corrodes car. things, yeah. They don't leak. Yeah. Nate drives a Subaru, a fairly new Subaru, so I wouldn't worry about the corrosion problem with that. But uh, he does live in New Hampshire where it's very cold. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, f- find out what group size your battery, yeah. f- group size battery your car takes and try to find the one with the most cold cranking amps. Mm-hmm. That's the best advice. And, and don't get hung up on a brand, whether it's a Walmart battery or a Sears battery or a manufacturer's battery. No, they're almost all they're almost the all same, the same batteries. I, I just prefer lately when I'm replacing batteries, if, if I can afford or if the car's worth it, is to buy the optimal ones just because they're better. Well, the reason you bought the yellow top for the Montero was because you drive it off-road. And, I drive it off-road. And they, don't, it they don't get affected by the vibration as and much. And I've also got uh, – I'm either running a ham radio in there for rally stuff or CB. And, CB, ham, and, auxiliary lights, yeah, stereo, power so, windows. Yeah, the extra <laughs> the extra drain on it. It's a, the yellow top's the, the uh, deep deep drain or whatever. And you can you can run it you can for run, like yeah you run your CV radio all day without running the truck and then yeah exactly. the truck would still start mm-hmm. so that's why I went with it. Uh, then Noah Zimmerman uh, asks, "When did BMW start to suck?" Uh, Andrew so and I what, have talked about this in the so past. We have different opinions on let's this. Let's see when when did BMW start as a company? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, come on now. Uh, well, you know, I've I've worked on them a couple times. They have their quirks. They have a lot of quirks. I'm gonna, People I, love them. If I, I are, think that anything post E36 is terrible. So that's like 97? 98. 98? Okay. I'd go E46. See, to me, that's when they started getting with the the plastic heating system. Yeah, uh, but, but if you compare an E46 to the next one up, the E90. Well, no, the totally E90 sucks more than the E46. But I think <laughs> the E46 is when they started to, I w- I would, they started to go to a throwaway car. Like they are now. It's it, they, when when companies started to push leases. Yeah, that's when the quality of the cars stopped. Started to go down, and that's the same across all manufacturers. Because they have a car that needs to be good for two or three years, they'll mm-hmm. warranty it for five or six years or whatever it is, and then after that five or six years, they don't care anymore. BMW used to care about 
the longevity of their car and you know they still support with parts their 35 40 year old cars and i think that after the e36 is when that kind of all started to go downhill i'd still play with one i'd buy one any 46 or a new I'd, one i buy an e46 e36 i would buy an e36 i buy an e46 i mean if I you so. if there's been enough time that they've been out that people pretty much know everything that goes the wrong small with them. repairs and how to maintain them and once you yeah, yeah. Once you do all of those things, just like any car, of course, it's fine. I'm, again, I'm the guy looking just, to buy a Mercor, so <laughs> I shouldn't talk. Just some cars have a longer list of things you have to do to make them roadworthy than other cars. To make them reliably roadworthy. Yes. Yeah. And if you're willing to do that, then any car is fine. I still say pre E46. I like the E36 and down. Well, that's the thing. They're I mean, prettier. I like old cars. I can't you know, yeah, deny that. I guess. You get an OBD1. You don't worry about emissions. Just drive it. I like E36 it. M3s. Yes. And it's really that. It comes down to that car and driver cover. Uh, same with me. Of with the, the yellow, yellow one. one. Where yeah. it's jumping through the air. Same with me. I was in seventh grade. Imprint, when that imprinted cover came on me. Out. I remember that cover yeah. specifically. I remember it said, it said three, it was like 30, $33,000, 330 horsepower. And like 13.3 or whatever. What, yeah. what the numbers were. It was all these threes in the thing. And it showed the thing jumping through the air. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I sat there and I remember being in homeroom in seventh grade reading the article going, I'm going to own one of those someday. Never bought one. No. But hey, there's still time to go. I did get to drive an E46 M3 one time when I was working at a dealer. That was pretty cool. The only E46 M3 I've driven, which might <clears throat> be part of my hatred towards them, is was an SMG car. And I did not like it. It was not a fun experience for me. Uh, it's a six-speed car. Okay, that sounds better. Yeah. It was dark gray, six-speed. And it was just, just a baby blue SMG convertible. Yeah, I just remembered <laughs> it was like... The worst. Because at the time, I had my SI, my 2000 Civic SI, which yep. basically, it was one of the only other cars that had 100 horsepower per liter. Right. So, you know, the car, the Civic SI was a 1.6. It had no liters, so it didn't have any power. Well, it had 160 <laughs> horsepower. And then the the E46 M3 was like 3 liters and had like 3, it was 3.3 or something. Yeah, 330 horsepower. 330, so that was that was pretty cool. We could be wrong on numbers because we're not numbers people. That's what I remember. Um, but, no, that was a cool car. I, I, I Even that one I sent you on Craigslist today, it was that E46 wagon. wagon. Yeah. But... Which I don't think would be an E46 because E46 was the coupe, wasn't it? Isn't like E40 something? Uh, else? Just the general. No, I'm not sure. I don't think at that time they went with the different numbers for a wagon. Like they do now. Like they do now. Okay. I think it was still an E46. Somebody can correct us on that or I can look it up tomorrow. But that yeah, had. You work the, with BMW stuff every day. Yeah. <laughs> that had. Uh, but it's for sale on Craigslist for $1,000. Right, because the subframe dripped out of it. Yeah. I so mean, just weld it back up. No. I mean, they make the patch kits. Okay. Well, I remember that we have a friend of the podcast has an E36. Um, and I remember I he brought it to my shop that I used to work at to have the um, sway bar mounts welded back in it because mm. they brought out in those, too. Mm. But anyway, I, I, I still like E36s. I mean, if I were to go out and buy a BMW right now, I'd be buying a 2002, not the year, the model, or an E21 or an E28 which is the pre-square, the E21 is the pre-square uh, 3 Series, the small BMW. That's the one that came out right after mm-hmm. 2002. Yep. And the E28 is the 85 Series. Those are my favorite BMWs, those three cars. My, fav- my favorite affordable BMWs. Yeah, I'd love a 507. That was a neat car. I remember 
I went with you to look at one before you bought the 4K. I, when I bought my Audi 4000, I was in the market for an E28. That's what I wanted. I yeah. wanted a, a 520-something. Yeah. It had too much rot because it was a, it was down near the down Cape the Cod. Yeah. We, we, we say the Cape, so that's near the ocean. It didn't look like it did. No. It, the whole front of the car was fine. The doors yeah. were fine. The quarters were fine. The floor was fine. It was when we crawled into the back of the car, and I remember putting my hand on the big aluminum bumper to look underneath, and the bumper moved a little bit. Yeah. And then I looked underneath, and there were no frame rails in the back. Yeah. It was a shame because yeah. that was a really pretty car. It was a very black on black, five speed, very pretty car. It's probably like slammed on the ground or something now. It's or, probably in a junkyard. Or a junkyard. Yeah. It's probably in a junkyard. Someday I'll have one of those too. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of not quite center exhaust. Yeah, that's oh, cool, yeah, yeah, a cool yeah, look yeah. on those cars. I, yeah. I just love that car. And as a you know a family man with a wife and a daughter, it's kind of a cool old summertime daily driver. You know, he's got a back seat, so plenty of room for the family and. Oh, what else did I see today? Oh, I sent you. It's a. It was a. Um, sometimes I'll go on Craigslist and just look up BMWs that are under two thousand dollars around here, because it's just kind of fun. No, the, qu- the question was when did BMWs start sucking. The, I know. the answer. The answer to this question is anytime you buy a BMW under two thousand yeah. dollars, it's probably going to suck. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to suck. It's gonna, you're in, you're in for a lot of pain, like, <laughs> or you like pain, maybe I don't know. Yeah, maybe you're into you, that. You could probably put a car together fairly inexpensively buying it that way, but it's going to suck from the get go. Because I mean, this was this was a 2003 five series with the V8 six speed. It was a 530. It was a small V8, right? The small V8, yeah, six speed. Yeah, it was fifteen hundred bucks with a hun- almost one hundred ninety thousand miles. Yep, but fifteen hundred dollars. I would probably drive that car because <laughs> I'm sitting here making fun of E46s and newer, but I like that five series. It had snow tires on it already. You said it had some weird. If I hadn't just one bought the wife that sob, maybe I'd be going to look at it. Falling plug for some reason. <laughs> Who knows what that is. Well, like our, our our friend Al has the um, the 540i M Sport, mm-hmm. and that car is awesome. It's like one step below an M5. Yeah, even well, with the automatic that he says, the car is awesome. Yeah, well, he he bought a nice example of one. Yeah, it's a fifty thousand mile car. We're, we're talking about thousand dollar BMWs. Yeah, I, I think I'd be uh, chasing the wrong chasing the wrong dream here, buying that car, trying to compare it to his car. Well. Getting pretty long here, so that's right. Move through the questions. We got to do all the questions. That's it. That is all the questions. That was it. That was it. We had ten. All right. That's pretty I good. There was one more. Mm, Maybe not. There's one more. I don't think so. Let me do a quick well, social media check. Make sure nothing added while we were sitting here. So you can uh, follow us at. Uh, oh, hold on. Before we get there, we have to do a quick um, scale project cars. Oh, well, that's right, right, right. So, yep. I I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna prep my Evo body, get it ready for. Uh, a clear, clear coat. coat, and there was a couple little tiny pieces of dust in there, but because I used an airbrush to put the color coat on, it was real thin, and apparently I used 1500 grit was still too rough. It was still learning on the yeah. airbrush stuff, too. Yeah. We're not so really I, good with it yet. So I just burned right through the color coat. It's right into the primer. It's smooth, but it's it'll be fine. I, I think I can just... You can hit, spot finish that one little section. I'll just hit the whole car again with the color coat. The, the airbrush has got really good control. Yep, and then I'll just let it dry. For it's a also day. the first time you've ever used that paint, so you, yeah, the chances of there being a mistake were pretty high. Yeah, and so I'll just do a, then I'll clear it afterwards. But other than that, I haven't really touched that one. Uh, I played with a Hot Wheels car. You got me the. You sat on the floor and making go from bruises. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, you gave me the five ten. I didn't bring it down here. It's still up in the workbench. Yeah, I just look on the shelf for it. You gave me the five ten from the Track Day Bro. Yes. Set up, yep. and uh, I just added some some details to the front grill. Yep. Because it's got a metal or chrome front grill, 
as opposed to the 510 wagon, which I think was like molded in color. The 510 wagon, the front end is part of the diecast body. Yeah. The 510 coupe, the grill and headlights are part of the interior assembly. I know. I would kill for the red, white, and blue ones, but they're like huge money, right? The BRE ones? The BRE yeah, $200 ones. $200 oh, for a Hot Wheels car. Yeah, it's not worth it. Oh, it's so annoying. However, there's a guy out there that makes the decals. Really? So you can make your own. You know, I was considering uh, over Christmas break, because I'll have some time off from work, and I've got a crap ton of Hot Wheels sitting down here that I should take one apart and try to paint it. 100%. Maybe do a 510 with the BRE stickers. Maybe. I'll or, look it up on eBay. Or I'll just you know, mess with one of the ones I have and use yeah. a paint color I already have. You but, don't have white and red? Yeah. <laughs> but I've got, um, you got to figure out what, well, the drill size is easy to figure out what you drill out the rivets with, but whatever the sizes of screw that people buy and then thread back into the body. I just put super glue on them and they stick back together. Oh, okay. Well, I'm making it way more complicated. Yep. And then we got to use what, uh, aircraft paint stripper for the aluminum? Yes. That yep. stuff will take the paint off of, yeah, after you of, disassemble of it. Everything. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't put it in. I put it in a different kind of, of uh, yeah. I, I I dunked a whole car just to experiment with a kind of paint stripper to see if it touched the paint, and it did not. <laughs> no, but it made the, made the windows bulge For some out. reason, the clear plastic absorbed the thinner and made the windows, like, poke out of the car, and the headlights poke out of the car. It was mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. However, since they've dried, they've gone back to normal looking. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very bizarre. Like, they have some wrinkles in them from where they stretched out, like stretch marks, but it looks normal now sitting on my shelf. That's weird. Yeah, I'll Send you pictures later tonight. All right, all right. So that's anyway. that's what's going on with that. Um, there were no more questions. I checked. All right, cool. Quick. So you can follow us on Auto Off Topic uh, Podcast on Facebook. Yes, we added podcast to that to make. It yeah, because I realized we it was were. like, oh shit, I should probably put yeah. podcast after <laughs> Who that. Who are we? Auto Off Topic Podcast is our Facebook name. Yes, uh, it's just Auto Off Topic on uh, Instagram, and uh, that's pretty much everywhere else. There's not actually. I don't have us anywhere else really. Not yet. Uh, we should have a Twitter, I think. Yeah, I'm not that into Twitter. I never follow it. Uh, I keep saying that for work, too, but I don't have one there either. Yeah, the problem with Twitter, it's like it's like you're at a party, and you walk up to a group of people, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, but you're not really in on the conversation. And you're just laughing along with them. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Well, the only thing I was thinking about Twitter is I don't know if Twitter has the same issues where it's like pay-to-play now, like where yeah, Facebook and Instagram do. I have other issues with Twitter that I don't like it anymore, but no. whatever. Anyway, politics notwithstanding. Anyway, the um, anyway you can find us on Instagram at Auto Off Topic. You can find me on Instagram, Race and Anger. Uh, you can find Brad uh, Vintage Imports N E on Instagram, Vintage Imports of New England on Facebook, um, and that's pretty much where to find me. Or Brad DeSantis, friend me on well, Facebook. What's your sure. Instagram? All right, I need to change my Instagram name. Because I've had the same username since the dawn of the internet. Uh, and I know we have a couple of listeners who I know have been making fun of my name and how it sounds when I say it at the end of the show every time. <laughs> my personal Instagram is TSISS350. I made that name probably in 90, 98, 99. Probably. Didn't really know that in the future I was going to be meeting people from the internet. And they're going to be like, oh, what's your name on such and such a group? I'd be like, oh, my name is Brad D. No, my name is TSISS350. So I do have to change that. Uh, it is, however, better than our AOL, AOL names back in the you know, early oh, 90s no, when no, you no, were. No, no, no. What, should I say it? When you were AutoKid01? 2001. Yeah. That's probably when you made it. I finally just changed that one on one of the DSM forms. 
Oh, did you really? Yeah, because we've met basically everybody from that forum in person, yeah. so I just messaged someone. Now, now that you're a full-grown adult, you're no yeah. longer an auto kid. <laughs> oh, man. what? Anyway. So uh, that's where you can find us. Uh, please rate, review uh, the podcast. Uh, yeah. if, if you like, If you like it, share it with a friend. And send and, us any uh, questions, comments, oh yes, reports, questions, pictures, comments, uh, hate mail, anything you want to send us, we'll take at, it. Uh, it's autooptopic at gmail dot com, or post things to the Facebook page, pictures yep. of your project. Yep, anything you want to show us, mm-hmm. we'd love to talk about it. Yep, sure, sure. Topic ideas, want to be a guest? Let us know. We'll yep. Yeah, yeah, we're working on that. Yeah, working on the tech. And uh, hopefully... Big like, things keep, coming, big things coming. Yeah, I keep saying that at the beginning of the new year, so uh, we're almost there. So hopefully we'll be having some guests soon. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we're getting a little long here, so let's um, thank everybody for listening. See you next week. Keep your cars analog. <laughs>